Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Jennifer Hartsock. Jen is the Chief Information and Digital Officer of Cargill, a global food company that's the largest privately held corporation in the United States in terms of revenue, earning roughly $165 billion annually. In her role, Jen is responsible for the company's global technology portfolio, as well as technology, digital, and data strategies to enable Cargill's strategic growth priorities. She's a seasoned technology and digital chief, having held the CIO posts at several other behemoths, including Caterpillar, General Electric, and Baker Hughes prior to her current post. I look forward to hearing more about her journey and some of the lessons she's learned and imparted in being a leader at numerous large, complex companies. Jen, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thanks, Peter. It's a privilege to be here. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. You're very kind to say so. But first, a quick word from our partner, Adyen, and the company's chief operating officer, Cameron Zaki. Adyen is a payment platform company that allows businesses to accept e-commerce, mobile, and point-of-sale payments. And Cameron wanted to provide a short overview of what Adyen has to offer. Cameron, over to you. Thanks, Peter. It's one global platform on which you can do many continents and countries, all the relevant payment methods, which vary significantly across different parts of the world to online and physical world or mobile. And we've continued to expand from there. If you go to a dinner party and people ask you what you do and you say this, they're like, that sounds like common sense. Why is it unique? The reality is that a lot of the players who've been around for decades have grown on mainframe computing, releasing once or twice a year, buying other companies, and then they give you one API. But behind the scenes, it's a bit of a spaghetti mess, unfortunately. What Adyen did and what we do is sort of really do the backend plumbing that is a little less sexy at times, but really makes the difference in being able to say, hey, it was Peter. Do you know that he you know, shops online and on mobile and in your store and you can recognize him and you can connect all the dots and it's not just enabling the payment, but it's, hey, how do you factor that into loyalty and marketing and all kinds of other use cases? Thanks, Cameron. And now on to the interview. Uh, Jen, I, I thought we'd begin, I, I mentioned just the briefest of overviews of your company, one that is uh, I- I- remarkable and complex. And I wonder if you could take a few more moments in describing Cargill's business, if you would. Yeah, it's interesting. I had the opportunity to join the Cargill team almost nine months ago, so at the point of this recording, and it's been such an amazing journey to learn more about our portfolio. It is so much more diverse than I had any appreciation for prior to having the opportunity to join the team. So it is really, you know, if I could think of one word that helps me encapsulate Cargill Work Connectors, whether it be farms, with the farmers create as far as grains and getting them in the right markets where they need to be, whether that's, you know, talking about how to get food and food ingredients into the products that we all purchase at our grocery stores. It is incredible how well Cargill can find product, create value add, and then get it in the hands of the people that need it. So it's really kind of fun. That's a technology leader. The idea of a connector resonates with what we do each day as well. Yeah, very interesting. And I, I let's uh, go to that that uh, technology aspect of it, if you would. You're you're uh, the chief information digital officer, as I noted a moment ago. Talk a bit about your purview, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. And it is it really is if you talk about the entire breadth of the Cargill portfolio, whether that be our protein business or agriculture supply chain. It's trying to figure out. How does digital and data show up in ways that help support their growth ambitions? And that could be organic growth, could be about operating their business better, inorganic activity. And it really is that business partner, that business leader that deep dives into what we're trying to make possible here at Cargill and really align to our purpose, 
nourishing the world safely, responsibly, sustainably. It really is finding that nice marriage where we can bring digital and data capabilities to help support that mission. That's really interesting. And I, 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 it's, a, it's a wonderful sign, Jen. You've been a, a, a technology and digital leader for quite some time. And surely uh, in your uh, climb of, of the ladder, you'll recall uh, periods of time when technology organizations were primarily focused on the efficiency side, the, the mm-hmm. bottom line aspect of the profit equation rather than the revenue side of it. And it's certainly heartening to hear more about the both sides that you, you and your team focus on to ensure that you are a, an enabler of growth in addition to doing so uh, through efficiency as well. Yeah. And, and Peter, when I think about digital, I think about it really across four major buckets, if you will, of capability delivery. And yeah, it starts with products and services that we sell to our customers, which in some cases have digital components with that. And whether that be information around products or making sure we have the right go-to-market strategy and supporting the product delivery itself. We talk about the customer experience. How do we make it as easy as possible for our customers to engage with us? Yeah, a big part of what we do is how do we use digital to run our business better? I call it digital at the core efficiency, effectiveness, experience, and then what are the tools that we provide to our employees being the fourth one. All of that enabled by data, because we all know the end-to-end data story is where a lot of power comes. And that's really, so we think about that, and there's both growth and efficiency in each of those categories that I think give plenty of opportunity for our digital and data leaders to have an impact. And I noticed you use digital. I, I, I know from uh, my homework, you prefer that term to IT. I do. Uh, talk a bit about the rationale behind that, if you would. It's, and for me, it's about setting the right context and the right tone. And, and because I think that historically, and you, you mentioned it, there has been a part of our history as technology professionals where IT or IS or what, what iteration would you like to talk about was more focused internally to enable maybe HR or finance, or if you're lucky, engineering or operations or supply chain, but it was really an internally focused idea. So there's a bit of rebranding that goes with that so that we can make sure not only are our teams getting the right signal, because I think words matter, we're trying to inspire and motivate our organization to help deliver. It also matters for the partners that we're working with to be able to accomplish those outcomes. Uh, and, you know, and it's easy to get, you know, focused on the past. And I, I think the past informs, but it's really about where we think we can take things for the future. And you noted earlier the the sanctity of data. I can only imagine an organization as large as yours, you are awash in it. And I, I wonder, not the first time, by the way, that you've worked for large organizations, so this mm-hmm. is not new to you, but uh, synthesizing that data to the point where you are able to make better decisions is easier said than done. Talk a bit about the ways in which you've managed that to ensure that uh, through that sea of data, you actually are, are drawing some better conclusions and helping met- uh, foster better decisions for the organization. Yeah, and Peter, I suspect that my colleagues and other organizations also wrestle with this. And like, like all organizations, we have some incredible areas of strength. And then we have other areas where it's still a bit challenging for us. And if you think about the visibility of data we need to manage the agriculture supply chain in 70 countries around the world, you bet data has a huge impact on that. You know, where are the vessels? How full are they? Where can we optimize logistics? You know, how do we actually do create trading positions that are really interesting that help us make sure that we're moving goods and services the way we should? I think we have some incredible areas of strength. Where we still, I would say, sometimes struggle is harmonization across the organization. We are organized into five very large business units. We call them enterprises, which 
from my own history is still something I struggle with adapting my vocabulary to. The enterprise is not Cargill. We have five of them. Cargill is the corporation. Got it. So in those five business units, getting to have what is the, the relevant data that helps make Cargill better together that requires a huge amount of collaboration, a lot of matrix thinking, because each one of those business units or enterprises has their own markets they're serving. They have their own products that they're trying to deliver and getting them to focus on, again, sharing. We all know sharing of data is both culturally and technically a challenge. Great points. And, and you you raise in describing uh, the, the size of the business and the way in which it's organized, a topic I also wanted to mine with you, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, Jen. And that is, how, how do you organize IT across those five different enterprises? As you point out, there are unique attributes to those businesses that no doubt have sort of one-off uh, significant solutions that are relevant just to those businesses, while naturally a role like yours is always seeking opportunities to do something once that apply five times, needless to say, I, uh, among a variety of other of complexities you and your team are managing. Talk a bit about how you think about what sort of federation versus centralized technology and how you you know foster uh, collaboration and innovation in different ways across the company. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think we're actually in the midst of a pivot on that, Peter. So, you know, I've been here a little eight and a half, nine months-ish now, and, and I've learned enough to be dangerous. And we're actually in the midst of us on our biannual basis, we refresh with our board, much like most corporations. We have a, a schedule with the board of directors to update on our strategy in the next three to five years of our future. I had the opportunity to come in in the middle of that work that culminated with a pitch in September for endorsement on how we were going to approach our three to five year plan. What I quickly determined is that how we were organized was really great for what we were trying to do in the past. We actually needed to have a bit of a pivot. So precisely what you talked about, which is where are we better together and where are we better allowing for innovation and differentiation closer to the market? It worked really well. And now we need to have that that pendulum shift a bit to be much more about innovation and differentiation and growth. We have a lot in shared services today within the group and less that's unique to our business units or enterprises. So we're in the midst of actually moving that pendulum. So hopefully in the next six months, we'll be rolling that out because it is, it's tough, right? To find the right balance. And we all have that responsibility that have large organizations because we do want to leverage the scale and we cannot lose the value of leveraging the scale of Cargill, both on process execution, on data, on customer interactions. There's just so much that we have to do better together. And at the same time, to support the growth ambitions of the organization, it can't all be coming from the center because we all know it requires that that collaborative, co-located team mentality to be able to look at those new market opportunities and drive the speed and agility we need to serve those customers differently. And how do you think about sort of your role in presenting the art of the possible? The, the, these mm-hmm. the people who run these businesses know them. You know, I'm, I'm sure the the sort of classic sort of they've forgotten more than you'll ever know about that that part of the business they've grown up in. They they might say, but but you know technology mm-hmm. and and know know it across a variety of different lenses, and moreover lead a team that uh, no doubt remains abreast of progress being made, innovations mm-hmm. that may or may not apply. Um, how do you think about the meeting in the middle between the plans that they're articulating and the possible uses of new innovative technology in order to create a faster path towards accomplishment there. 
Yeah, we've got several teams that have got some really great proof points on that one, Peter. Like, I'll give an example. Uh, we have this incredible need as an organization that, that moves into this, the food supply chain very effectively. Like, this is what we do day in and day out. We have customers just like us that are committed to sustainability improvements in what they do. So as an example, we deal in commodities, soybeans, cocoa, palm, that that honestly are being generated in parts of the world where things like deforestation is a concern. So we have customers that come to us and they say, hey, we want to have a higher degree of confidence that the commodities that you're sourcing that come into us to create our products and services that ultimately end up on your dinner plate, as an example, are coming from places where we are confident that they're meeting our commitments around, you know, lack of deforestation, carbon credits. We want to go all in an understanding ESG impact to the products that we serve. Well, that's a great art of the possible in technology, right? It's, you know, like you can sit there and look at that and go, wow, like how do we solve that problem? Because it's all about data. It's about product movement. It's about traceability. So we've actually did a lot of experimentation with those units. I'm not going to lie. We started with blockchain. We found that blockchain wasn't actually the right technology for us, but we were able to use satellite imagery. We were able to use our own data of traceability of how those products were moving through the supply chain to give our customers insights and get them a higher degree of confidence in the products we were giving them. So it was a really fun project because it was, it was iterative. It was all the things that we you know, get jazzed about in tech. It's a agile, it's iterative, it's right there with our business partners. Data was also a challenge on that one because how do you make sure it's coming through in a high quality way? You never want to put something in front of your customers that you can't back up, especially when it comes to sustainability, food safety, those types of things. So we really had to take quite seriously on how we could bring it together in a way that served that purpose. But honestly, great fun project, generated value, more and more customers are tapping into that and seeing it as a way to create in our world, differentiated value for what otherwise would be viewed as a commodity product. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Jen, you noted the variety of ways in which technology is not only improving the internal uh, operations, but also uh, improving customer experience along the way, really kind of an end-to-end perspective of what you're delivering digitally. And and I wonder if you can maybe provide some, some additional thoughts and maybe even some examples as to how you've brought that to life. Yeah, it really is interesting. So I think, Peter, it's really easy for us when we get focused internally to forget that, honestly, by focusing on how well and how effectively we operate within the walls of the organization, it actually does give us an opportunity to differentiate with customers through a much better user experience or customer experience. And one of those we're really proud of is we have a, a, a business, our protein business in Latin America sell a lot of chicken, sell a lot of chicken parts uh, to bodegas. And these are you know corner stores where families go to be able to pick up the protein that they're going to make for dinner tonight. And one of the things we were finding is we were driving these trucks around. Literally, we put chicken parts on trucks, frozen chicken parts, and then they drive around and then they go to meet with the bodega owner and they're like, all right, I need X number of chicken breasts. I need some thighs, need some wings, right? Oh, oh, tough week. Already ran out of breasts. Got none for you. Right. And that was tough. Right. Because then they can't serve their customers. We didn't actually get to maximize our revenue through that bodega. And if we do it too often, they're going to buy from somebody else's truck. And that was a bummer. We didn't want that. And so we used a lot in how we simplified and standardized our processes and our data internally. So we have much better visibility to inventory. And then through that inventory visibility, we could then put that in the hands of our bodega owners on a smartphone. We could give them an app. So they could go in in advance. And before I ever showed up in my truck, 
they would be able to say how many of X different chicken parts they need this week. And if they needed nothing, we didn't send the truck, which then was a safety improvement because we weren't on the roads as much. It allowed us to save time so we could show up where customer demand really was. And it also meant that we could deliver the product they needed far more consistently. Bonus for us, got crazy great insights into demand. We got to see things in advance so we could actually adjust our production operations so that we could ramp up or ramp down demand based on what we were seeing from the real customer. So it was just, it was a great way where you see that kind of end to end operating more efficiently and effectively and serving your customer better. Jen, I wonder, uh, mo- most of the large organizations you've been a part of have been uh, p- publicly traded companies. Mm-hmm. This is a private uh, um, enterprise, uh, forgive me, private company, uh, corporation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> enterprise means something different in your setting, as you noted. Um, I-, I wonder if there are any material differences in, in uh, running an organization like yours in this sort of a setting versus ones uh, you've been a part of in the past. I'm not going to lie, Peter, that was one of the attractions I had to, mm-hmm. to come into Cargo. Because in public settings, and, and I've had the opportunity to work for some incredibly awesome organizations, you know, with strong brands, strong legacy, and always felt very fortunate. And coming in, I would say as a technology leader, sometimes we would get pressure to have a return profile on our investments that were pretty rapid. Like I have been in organizations like, you know, market's tough, you know, the market cycle is hard. We got to look for projects that deliver accretive benefits tomorrow. And you started to really have to make tough choices about things that you knew could deliver long-term value, but would require investment to get there, which might be harder to describe to the public market than you had. We're very well-owned. I am not going to complain about this at all because we have an investor base that is a finite number of people who are absolutely focused on taking a 157-year legacy and making it relevant for another 157 years. So we are able to make decisions that are on much longer timeframes. Of course, they still have to be good investments. Of course, they have to be relevant for our purpose. And we have more tolerance for taking some risks sometimes that might not return instead of every year. Maybe it's a three-year or a five-year or a seven-year. Or in the case of some of our capabilities, 10, 20-year returns, because we know that that's what we're here for. We're here for the long term. Yeah, very interesting. I, I've heard you summarize your leadership style with four L's, Jen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder if you could take a moment and define those four and, of course, uh, to describe why those are important. Yeah, and I think that being a senior leader in an organization means that I, I, I always joke about this. I'm like, I almost don't, I don't really do anything around here. It's not true. I fundamentally do a lot of things. But as far as, as a technologist, I started as a coder. So when I compared to what I did in coding, I don't get to put my fingers to a keyboard and chunk out something and know I hit my deliverables for the week and done, right? Like I don't, I don't get to do that anymore. So when I think about how I hold myself accountable, it really is about generating talent development, creating the right environment and the right culture for our teams to be exceedingly successful. And so I think as leaders, we have a responsibility to create highly engaged teams. And I think four L's are super critical to that. The first L is, is almost a hygiene item, which I call living, which is, do we have the right candidly competitive compensation and benefit structure? Do we have the right work-life balance? Are we supporting flexibility so that people can live their lives? And, you know, and that is absolutely a table stakes for a vast majority of organizations. So we have a responsibility to do that well. 
The second one is really about loving. And that's where culture comes in. By the way, I do know that not everyone is comfortable with the word loving. They might liking might be easier for them. And I'm okay. I'm all about the loving because I think that we are talking about people who commit incredible amounts of energy to the success of the organization. And I want them to feel loved and appreciated every day. So loving is my second. And that's all about culture. Do you feel like you can authentically show up as yourself, that you're valued for your contributions, that the diverse experiences of our teams are absolutely valued and leveraged to create better outcomes? That's my second one. Third one is all about learning. And that's really about long-term growth and development. Are you invested in what I want to be, not just today, but tomorrow? I'm the product of an intern program gone great. Like I got hired on to Caterpillar's internship program. There were fabulous leaders that created rotational roles for me, seeing potential in me I didn't see in myself that were willing to take risks and give me opportunities to grow. So I would not be sitting here if people hadn't been worried about that third L for me a lot. So I think we leaders have to be focused on that learning as well. And the very last one, which I think is a bit, you know, is a bit of the pinnacle on all of it is legacy. Do we give people the opportunity to work on things that matter? And here at Cargill, that becomes a little less challenging because we do have such a compelling purpose for people. Like we absolutely help nourish the world. That being said, we as leaders have a responsibility to connect the dots. So if you're a network architect, it can be easy to get lost into how we're going to connect facilities in the middle of nowhere to the network to have reliable connections so we can deploy great automation. You got to help them understand. Now, what's that doing for our purpose? Do you know that when you do this differently and you provide a more resilient solution, you're actually helping us nourish the world? Your work matters. And so those are my big four. And I think every day we have a responsibility to make sure that we're that we're meeting the needs of our teams across all four of them. And if we do it well, we do great things. We just got our engagement survey back. Super proud of the team. 90% engagement for an IT organization, which exceeds benchmark. It's great news. And I think it's because we have leaders that focus on all elements of our team simultaneously. That's great. What 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 interesting sort of cultural touchstones and and, and an easy way to remember them and and to mm-hmm. perhaps check uh, the work you're doing and the way you're leading against some of those items on a regular basis as well. Related to that, I know that you're also a big fan of the platinum rule. Uh, many will will, have, will be familiar with the golden rule: uh, treat others how you wish to be treated. Uh, you you, you uh, take that a step further, and I'll have you describe that if you would. Yeah, and the platinum rule, and a lot of these things, I'm not going to lie, Peter, I steal shamelessly from other people. I'm all about leveraging other people's experience and learnings. It's how we get better. It's kind of like why I like these podcasts. I think we collectively help each other be stronger as leaders in our profession. And if you think about it, it's, you know, the golden rule matters. So I don't want to abandon the golden rule. Absolutely, you should treat others the way at least as good as you want to be treated. The platinum rule pivots it a little bit further and says that I want to treat other people the way that they will deserve and want to be treated. So it means that I have to take the time. I have to say, okay, what's important to Peter? How does he think about things? How does he create value? What's, you know, and if I don't take the time to understand that, if I, if now it's, it's okay, like showing up and saying, I have to be as respectful as I would be to myself. That's a start. I think we, as we embrace diverse teams, can go a step further in finding out what's your cultural system? What's important to you? How is your family? Like who's in it? Like what? And and then if we can adapt our style to meet that set of needs, it goes even further to create an inclusive culture. 
No, I like, like I like that overview. That's really interesting. I, I, I mentioned earlier, of course, that you've been a uh, chief information or digital officer now across multiple organizations, five by my count, if I've got that correct, and all scaled organizations. Uh, it, it represents a period of time where there's been remarkable change in technology. And as a result of that, as its appreciation across all functions of most companies, an increased strategic nature to the work uh, that you do and your team does. I wonder, you've already begun to address some of this in terms of the, as we were having the exchange about a focus on efficiencies, for instance, and primarily working on internally focused aspects of of, of one's work, as opposed to thinking more about customer experience and delivering Mm -hmm. things digitally that might earn revenue and help the organization grow. I wonder if there are other reflections you have from across your tenure as a tech and digital executive in terms of that progress uh, that's meaningful to you. Yeah, and, and I, I was trying to do my own mental math when you said five. And I, I'm trying to do what I counted as five because there's an M&A activity in there, Peter, which wow. I know my colleagues at other companies would appreciate. Some name changes, some mergers, and you know, anyway. But yeah, <laughs> rest assured, I've had enough diversity of experience to absolutely leverage those different company cultures and different business models to grow as a leader. And I think that reflectively, I think that I've changed, you know, and I can think back to my very first opportunity to sit at a business table where I was functionally representing all of us into a cross-functional team trying to serve a market as a group CIO at Caterpillar. And I, I think back and I'm like, holy cow. I had so much to learn, right? Like, and because I did, I grew up very much focused on technology and certainly recognizing how it contributed to the success of the part of the business I was exposed to. But the first time you sit in that room where you realize that you are part of an ecosystem that includes all facets of business and then understanding how do you contribute in that way? Because I grew up as kind of, I won't say an expert, but I was reasonably well capable within my, you know, within my vertical. And now I needed to be able to take that vertical expertise and put it into a horizontal context. And so if I think about my own journey is I was on this quest to be a business leader that have, I happen to have domain expertise in digital technology data, but a business leader first. So I have organizational responsibility, but how do I make sure that I'm understanding the context, willing to make the trade-offs, have a point of view on where we should be heading strategically as an organization and be able to then translate into then what does my organization need to do to help support and deliver on that ambition. So I think over the last few you know, roles, I've been continuing to refine my leadership approach so I can live up to that expectation I set for myself. And there are great days, like there are days I'm really proud. And then there are days I'm like, hmm, probably went a little tech on that. Could have been a little more business context. And I'm blessed with a peer group here at Cargill that welcomes that, embraces it, and they've never once questioned why I might be interested in things outside of my space. And they, I think that I, that's what they wanted. They wanted as part of the leadership team as a peer, a partner, someone who would engage in the debate because we're all focused on the same thing, which is helping Cargill win with our customers, with our employees, the markets we serve, the communities we live and work in. That's really interesting. It's it's a fascinating testament to the fact that you've had a, a the same or similar title across multiple organizations, but the the nature of the work has grown, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that represents a lot of opportunity. I also really like the the point you made about how much you have changed. I can only imagine 
you know, th- th- having seen this a great number of times, people who've worked for, especially for an extended period for an organization have been extraordinary, su- extraordinarily successful, perhaps believing that they can take the blueprint and simply bring it whole hog to the next, uh, next environment and being culturally sensitive enough to recognize that in each case, you need to do some changing in addition to the change you bring to it. I, I think it's an interesting balance you call out there. Um, I wanted to also ask you, Jen, as you look to the future, what are some trends that particularly excite you? What are some of the things that are starting to make their way onto your or your team's roadmap that uh, has you excited? Yeah, aren't we all interested in tech? Because like, I, again, tech for the sake of tech is can be interesting. For me, it's most exciting when I when we can start to see how that tech's going to actually line up with what we're trying to strategically deliver. So, of course, advanced analytics, AI is really interesting for us. And I would say both in the way that we think about how we serve our customers and how we create products and service differentiation for that. I would say we're doing a lot with automation. So the convergence of the IT and the OT. So we look at automation controls, robotics and into our into our factory environments to, to help cope honestly with what it, you know, maybe another thing that's changed, Peter, you know, five years ago, I got a lot of questions around will automation and AI eliminate jobs. And now what I'm mostly focused on is how to deal with a labor shortage. So how can we use technology to continue to serve our customers in the midst of a global pandemic where we didn't know exactly who was going to come in every day, where we didn't necessarily have as many people showing up to apply for our jobs as we've historically been able to count on. So the the whole capability discussion has changed. We had a great example, a little bit off question in, in our protein business. So during the pandemic, we were all very much worried about the availability of food in our grocery stores. Remember those days where we were all worried about when you saw the pictures on the news with empty aisles? Well, candidly, we were trying to figure out how to keep our employees safe and still deliver the food that people needed into the grocery shelves. And one of the things that was hurting us is we couldn't predict who was going to come in so that we could figure out how much product we could plan to deliver. And so we used AI, so advanced analytics to look at, you know, I don't like infection trends, historical absentee rates, holidays, all those things. And we would use that to be able to create a system that would say, here's where you deploy your talent today. If you deploy your talent like this, you will be able to maximize output. We were pushing through tens and tens of thousands of shift movements to say, now Jen has to go work at this part of the line because that helps us deliver more. And so it's, it really is it's that marriage of where tech is showing up to solve legitimate challenges. And I just, I find that to be incredibly energizing. I love those examples. Thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. them, uh, re- really highlighting uh, great work done during very dynamic times. Mm-hmm. I wanted to also ask you, uh, Jen, uh, again, it's it's a double click on something you've already alluded to, but the secrets to your success. I mean, you were somebody who, as I said, is, has reached um, tremendous heights across a number of remarkable companies. You're the you're the product of an internship gone right. I think but that's the way that you framed it, uh, your time at Caterpillar, which obviously you went from a very low uh, rung on the ladder to a very high rung on the ladder there as well. I, I wonder if you could reflect for a moment on some of the difference makers along the way that really helped pave a, a path uh, to, to the great success that you've achieved. Yeah, and there's probably a few things that I could point on, although the list is probably long and there's a lot of people I would thank because I didn't do it alone. And that's probably the first reflection is to understand how to leverage the expertise and trust your your network, your personal board of directors to help advise you. I wish I was smart enough when I was 23 years old and I was a coder to think this was ever going to happen, please. I was pretty sure I was going to be a Java coder for the rest of my career. 
I like I just didn't have the vision uh, to anticipate where this was going to go. So I have to say one of the things I think is a critical contributor is to say yes to things, if you, even if it was a risk, is be willing to take some risk in your career, say yes to things that other people might say no to. And in that, I, I have to say that willingness to kind of jump without a parachute has aided me consistently. And whether that's overseas assignments, leaving coding to go do something else, being a Six Sigma black belt, moving from the Midwest to Southeast Texas, where it was hot and humid, and then back to the Midwest where it's really cold today. And, you know, willing to move household goods to experience things, uh, being vulnerable enough to ask questions that might feel a little bit maybe elementary to people who have been there, done that, and have forgotten more than I know will ever know. And and just having that willingness to jump in and have courage is one of them. One that I have to say I think is really, really important is learning to use your voice. And I can certainly remember times in my career where I didn't have the courage to speak up. And I didn't have the courage to voice my opinion. There was always that little voice in my head that I'm confident other people here too. Like, don't ask that. That's a dumb question. Don't point that out. It's obvious to everyone. And I had to, to help myself push through that, that skepticism, that inner voice and make sure. And what I've learned is half the time I asked her like, oh, I was going to ask that question too. And then it frees everyone to be much more curious. And so that countering the voice in my head and embracing that inner curiosity has allowed me to then change industries and jump in. And, you know, one of the things I have to say I appreciate about our culture here is we have a very learning culture. Thank goodness. I have a lot to learn. I have learned a ton, have so much more to go. But the people here, if I'm to say, hey, I'd really like to learn more about what we're doing in our animal health business, people line up. They're like, how do we help, Jen? Would you like to visit a plant? Want to go with us on one of our trips? Would you like to meet customers? And just the sheer willingness to satisfy that curiosity so I can be a better contributor, super cool. So leverage your network, say yes to things that other people might say no to, embrace curiosity and be vulnerable. And then honestly, the one that I will never underplay is surround yourself by awesome people because the teams that we create help us catapult ourselves and then the collective outcome we're doing together. And I have had the privilege in every organization to work with unbelievable people that make me better. And on most good days, I can say, I think I help make them better too. May I ask also, uh, you know, you were representative of still a an unfortunate uh, small cadre of female executives, growing certainly, though not growing as fast as most would like. Uh, I wonder your own reflections on, uh, for lack of a better way of framing it, the state of the union and women in technology. Do you do you see progress being made? Do you do you um, have suggestions to 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 folks who um, themselves in their own organizations are not making the progress they would wish uh, in terms of advice you'd offer? So I have a mixed answer on this one, Peter, because I think, and I'll give a U.S. reflection and also a global reflection. In the U.S., fewer women are graduating from computer science and technology-based programs than when I went through school like a long time ago. And that is disappointing because if you think about the career opportunities that I've been afforded and many of my colleagues, it doesn't matter if you want to stay technical or if you want to be in the C-suite. There are huge, huge career opportunities. And we actually do provide a huge amount of career flexibility to support work-life balance that I don't think people properly appreciate. So it's a bit of a bummer. So State of the Union, still a little disappointed. I think other parts of the world have done this a little better than we have. 
And I think that we have to leverage those learnings. I think when I and I'll get the numbers precisely wrong, but roughly right, you know, like 40% of the software engineers in India are women. So like, how do we tap into that? So I definitely think that we have to find ways to attract women, I'm going to say girls into STEM and then direct them into software fields and technology fields much, much better because we do really have a pretty awesome career opportunity set that I think is underserved. And then I do think that there's, if you're, if you're asking me, what do I think works? I think diversity attracts diversity too, and inclusion makes it stick. So how do you make sure that you're intentionally creating opportunity for diverse talent to be incredibly successful and then having the inclusive culture that allows them to contribute? So I think we've got to do it. And I'm incredibly committed throughout my career. I've been involved in programs that target junior high girls so that they can get more involved. I've been part of recruiting programs at HBCUs that we get much more U.S. minority and candidly, a lot of those are first-generation university graduates. And there is something about our career path that allows people from incredibly humble beginnings to have huge impacts on their communities and on their families that I would love to figure out how to bust through. So mixed, I give us a mixed report card on this one. I think we're better than we've ever been. I mean, there's a, a large number of very powerful women in technology that I count as awesome colleagues, and there can be even more. I, you know, one thing I'm really, really proud of at Cargill is to put our money where our mouth is. And when I joined the, per- I can take no credit for this. I'm so proud is that we focus on gender parity and pay in a very real and measurable way. As in, we look at the analytics. And if when we do our annual salary adjustment period, whatever you call it at your company, if we find that the demographics would indicate that our women aren't keeping up, we make the adjustments. We don't let every individual leader make that decision all by themselves. We help make sure that we absolutely live true to our commitment on that, which I think is an impressive thing that really does give an incredibly loud signal to the organization that we're taking this very seriously. Well, inspiring stories, Jen. Uh, uh, Jen Hartsock, I really appreciate you taking time with me today, sharing a bit about your remarkable career journey, uh, the the remarkable things you and your team are doing in the context of Cargill, some of your own philosophies built uh, and in, ca- in cases borrowed uh, uh, for, along the way from a number of other thinkers as well. It's been a, a really great conversation. Thank you so much. Peter, it's been my pleasure. Absolutely.